When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was ill and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were filled with awe and, praise God, a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Why don't others care as much as me? You must have found yourself in that position where your passions are stirred. They're bubbling over into words, into actions, but no one else around you seems to give a hoot. From things that are small, like the state of the kitchen. Doesn't anyone else care that it's in such a mess? Why am I the only one who can see that the dishes need to be washed, not just left next to the sink? To something bigger perhaps, like the injustices that are being perpetrated around the globe. How can no one else care about the oppression and the tyranny that occurs in Kumar? Because Kumar is a made-up country. Why don't others care as much as I do? There are lots of reasons to really love the gospel records we have of Jesus' life and ministry. For starters, they're a record historical record of the things that Jesus did. Isn't that just awesome? To, to stop and to consider that we, 
we have recorded for us some of the incredible things that Jesus did. In Luke's gospel alone, in less than half of it that we've made our way through so far, we've already witnessed Jesus' actions in so many different ways. Jesus spent 40 days in prayer and fasting and scripture meditation before beginning his ministry. Jesus drove out unclean spirits and healed people who were sick. Jesus made a habit of stopping and spending time with all sorts of people from the lowest of the low to the snootiest in the religious circles. When we come to the gospels, we get to see what he did. Moreover, they are for us a historic record not just of the things Jesus did, but the things Jesus said as well. Isn't that awesome? Especially when you consider some of the incredible things that came out of his mouth. In Luke's gospel alone, less than half of the way through that we've been able to make our way so far, we've heard Jesus speak in so many remarkable ways. Jesus has spoken truth to the enemy when the enemy sought to deceive him. Jesus has explained the scriptures to people and how now with him... There is this time of fulfillment being realised. Jesus called people from all different backgrounds to come, to follow him, to learn from him, to find true life. Jesus untangled the confused teachings of generations. And as we've been looking at the last couple of times we've been in Luke, Jesus set out a manifesto for living life in God's kingdom. We get to hear what Jesus said. But more than that, more than seeing what he did and hearing what he said, sometimes, slightly rarer occasions, we get it revealed to us how Jesus felt. And today we're encountering two stories in which we get that slightly rarer insight into Jesus' emotional response. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got Luke open we're going to begin the first story is titled in my bible a centurion's faith and it's chapter 7 beginning in verse 1 when jesus had concluded saying all the things that is the sermon on the plain to the people who were listening he entered capernaum a centurion's servant who was highly valued by him was sick and was about to die when the centurion heard that jesus had come, he sent some Jews to him requesting to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and he built our synagogue. I, I love this story. Um, it's, it's kind of like a Bible example of six degrees of Kevin Bacon. There's this servant who is sick, but he doesn't ask Jesus for healing. It's his master, this Roman centurion. But even he doesn't speak to Jesus himself. He sends some Jewish elders to go and speak to Jesus. So Jesus hears about this servant through the centurion, through the Jewish elders who come. There's like this cascade of request that comes before Jesus. Jesus went with them, it says, verse 6. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself since I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to another one, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does. 
There's something special about this Enduran. I don't know whether you've noticed it already. First of all, he cares about his servant. He cares about his slave, which was unthought of in the day. They were manuals, if you like, seven top tips for managing your household in Roman culture, which said if you had a servant who was sick, then you should just treat it like a tool, that if it's broken, discard it. And yet this centurion is going out of his way to make sure to see to it that his servant is healed. There's also something special about him in the sense that the Jews who come and they ask Jesus in the first instance, they say, here is a guy who is, who is worthy of your input, who is worthy of you hearing his appeal and approving his appeal. You should do this thing for this man because he's a good man. Somehow his life has captured the imagination, has captured the interest of those people he rubs shoulders with. He doesn't just seem to show an interest in the Jews either. He's someone who has gone out of his way, has spent his time and his energy to make sure that they have a synagogue in Capernaum. What I think is probably most interesting about the centurion though is how he totally doesn't, dis doesn't agree with the Jews. They said, here's a worthy man, Lord, come and do it. But when he hears that Jesus is coming to his home, he says, I am not worthy. There's a humility here which is radical. Verse 9. Jesus heard this, the centurion's response, and was amazed. Amazed at him, and he turned to the crowd following him, and he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Jesus had done what was asked of him. Did you spot Jesus's response there? How Jesus feels? In my translation, it speaks about Jesus being amazed. And very often that can mean to us simply surprise, um, shock. And Jesus is shocked. But the word in the Greek is more than just being surprised and being shocked. It's, it kind of carries that weight of someone who is pleased as well. Shocked and pleased. He's pleased with a centurion when he sees this faith being enacted. He's pleased with the centurion perhaps when he hears the humility in this man. He's pleased with a centurion when he sees faith in a place that he wasn't expecting it. Now remember, faith isn't closing our eyes and wishing for the best. Faith is following the evidence from the past into the future. This centurion had heard about Jesus, had heard about all the things he could do, and so he trusted Jesus, the one who had such authority that he could and would do the same for his servant. And Jesus, encountering that, responds with amazement, or if you like, joyous surprise. There's, there's a feeling, there's a response, isn't there? The second encounter begins immediately afterwards. It's there in verse 11, and in my Bible it's titled, A Widow's Son is Raised to Life. Spoiler alert, but there we are. Verse 11, afterwards he was on his way to a town called Nine. His disciples and a large crowd were travelling with him. And just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. This story has this kind of cascade of sorrow, doesn't it? 
first of all, it's sad to learn about this guy who has died. But then we find out he was the only son of this woman. And more than that, as, as if, you know, like the first and the second things weren't bad enough. Thirdly, she's a widow. Kind of all that she had left in this world to, to care for her, to um, provide for her, had now been taken away. There's this cascade of sorrow where the story just gets worse and worse and worse. A large crowd from the city was also with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Don't weep. It could feel like a cold and callous, perhaps even a cruel thing to say. Cruel if you don't know what the outcome of the story, which thanks to the heading we already do. And Jesus clearly already did. Then he came up, Jesus that is, and touched the open coffin. And the pallbearer stopped and he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. I love in this story and in the story before how Jesus kind of goes to that place you wouldn't expect him to go. He touched the coffin an act that, like in biblical sense, made him unclean. He was on his way to the centurion's house. Another act that was, was going to make him unclean. Both these stories speak of Jesus' willingness to put himself in positions that we might ordinarily think he shouldn't or couldn't go. But again, did you notice how Jesus felt in this situation? Encountering this woman's sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow, it says that he had compassion on her. Compassion, even for us today, is this word which is, which is deep, isn't it? It's not a superficial reaction. But again, in the Greek, it's, it's a really strong word that speaks of, of like a shuddering on the inside. One commentator put it like this that what Jesus is feeling here is a throbbing pity, uh, a heart throbbing with grief for this woman. You see, when Jesus encounters different circumstances, different situations, he feels, he feels. Perhaps I can put it like this, he feels more deeply than you or I can ever imagine. Now, some of us will come to these stories and we will say these are stories which show to us, which speak to us of Jesus's power, of Jesus's authority. These are stories which include his actions. These are stories which includes his words. And yes, they are. And if you've got eyes to see them, then by all means, see and celebrate and adore him. But no less, these are stories of Jesus's feelings his emotions, the way he responded within himself to the people and the circumstances he encountered. This morning, I want us to see that Jesus felt, and more than that, Jesus continues to feel even today. And that's a truth that I think is expressed really well in a book by Dan Ortland, recent book released called Gentle and Lowly. I think we've recommended it before in the church, 
Um, it's an extended deep dive into the heart of Jesus and actually I think because of our recommendation it was advertised in College Street books recently that you could go and get it from there. I would say go get it, enjoy it. But a quote that particularly stood out for me this week as I was making my way through it, Dane writes this, when we see Christ's feelings and his passions and his affections towards sinners and towards sufferers in the four gospels, we see who Jesus is towards us today. See, this isn't just an historic record of how Jesus felt. This is a, a window into the Jesus who continues to feel for us today. The same Jesus who, who walked Palestine 2,000 years ago and was amazed and had compassion and was filled with joy and pleased and was angry with the effects of the fall in our world. That's the same Jesus who is seated in heaven right now. If you've got 45 minutes to investigate that, then, then can I recommend that you head over to the, to the end of your Bibles to the end of the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, the, the letter from an unknown author, author to the Hebrews. And read that, it'll take you about 45 minutes, I think. And it's so much, it goes to such great lengths to help us to see and to understand how Jesus' humanity wasn't a short-term thing for a moment. It wasn't a sham of a thing, you know, like a humanity light or humanity in appearances only, it was the full deal. And it wasn't a humanity that was soiled or sullied by sin. It was perfect and pure. Go away and, and have a look at Hebrews and see how this one who, who walked and who now sits, that same one, was truly, truly human. And remains that way today. I appreciate there may be some of us this morning who don't like the idea of Jesus having an emotional response. Because when we think about emotional responses, we can only consider them in terms that are tainted by sin. The emotions that we have felt, or the emotions that we've witnessed in other people have been corrupted by our selfishness and our fallen nature. For people like you and for people like me, emotions are unpredictable things. In, in, in two senses, we care too much about things or we care too little about things. But Jesus, that perfect human, the Son taken on flesh, cares the perfect amount in the perfect direction. In the story, the centurion cared for his servant, yes. Trust me when I say that Jesus cared all the more. The woman was grieved at the loss of her son and the situation that she found herself in. Trust me when I say Jesus cared even more. The Jews thought the centurion was worthy of Jesus' help because he'd done so much for them. Jesus wanted to help because he was delighted at the faith that the centurion was demonstrating. Of course Jesus feels, of course Jesus has an emotional response to life and he always feels in the right way. Think about this, he is the only one who truly knows how things are supposed to be 
I mean, really supposed to be. We think sometimes, don't we, that we've got a grasp on how the world should work, what human flourishing should look like, how it can be achieved. We think we know what's truly good. We think we know what's truly sad. But it is truly only Jesus. From his vantage point uh, of creating and sustaining all things, it's only Jesus from his vantage point of living without the selfishness of sin that turns us in on ourselves. It's only him who truly sees what life is truly supposed to be like and how it has been broken and obliterated and twisted and marred. And so it's only him who truly feels correctly when he encounters these things. So where do we go with that? These are interesting tales. Um, and it's interesting perhaps to know that God is a God in Jesus who feels truly. But how do we respond to learning that today? I've got a couple of ideas. The first one is this. Let's be honest with our Saviour. Let's be honest with our Saviour. Perhaps you've come along this morning and you think God, like whoever it is who's sitting on the sofa and ignoring the mess in the kitchen, is someone who doesn't care. That God is someone who is cold, calculated, callous even in how they deal with, how they see us, how they respond to us. Truly this morning we should see that Jesus is one who cares, which means we can be honest with him about how we feel. If your grief, if your sorrow is true, if your rage, your anger is true, if your pleasure in a situation is true, then we can know that Jesus feels all those things alongside us. See, there's a freedom that comes with knowing that Christ feels because it means we can be open, we can be honest. These aren't alien emotions to him. It's that sort of openness and honesty that we encounter in the Psalms, isn't it? About how we feel and respond to life and the circumstances. Sometimes in the Psalms, that's refreshing to us. Sometimes, if we're honest, it makes us uncomfortable. But surely when we encounter this Jesus, who stood amazed, surpri joyfully surprised, who stood with compassion, throbbing with pity. Surely these stories of Jesus himself responding to, to life as it is, these encounters, they should push us in the same direction. And that means we can be open and we can be honest with our God. We don't need to bottle these things up. We don't need to hide them. We don't need to pretend that they aren't what they are. We can bring them to him. But, and I think this is so, so important, we should know that Jesus isn't simply there to mirror our emotions. Actually, when we come to Jesus and we're open and we're honest about how we feel about a situation and a circumstance, even if that feeling is indifference, Jesus might actually challenge our emotions. Jesus might actually push us in one way or another. And so this morning we need to confess, we need to come in such a way that we are willing to be changed by Jesus and his standards. To be moved more deeply when necessary. 
and to be called up when we react, when we overreact in ways that we ought not to. Truly, we can only do that when we spend time with Jesus. When we spend time reading stories like this, reading uh, the portrait which is painted of God and our Saviour throughout the whole scriptures. A portrait of what it is to feel the right way in the face of life. Our reactions are not always, they're not often right. They're not often in the right direction or to the right degree. Sometimes we do react too strongly on the one hand or not enough on the other. So we should come to Jesus honestly but humbly as well. Expecting our emotions to be challenged and changed and shaped by him. To find a saviour not simply who mirrors us, but one we can endeavour to mirror. Does that make sense? That we're supposed to come to Jesus and see what it is and how it is that we should respond and react in life. Thirdly this, we should love to involve him in our real lives. Sometimes sharing is just helpful, okay? Sharing with God, sharing with one another. When it comes to being open and honest with each other, very often sharing and being open and honest is as far as it can go. Because let's face it, the people that we open up to, the people that we share with, more often than not, don't have the power to affect any sort of real change in the situation. They can listen, they can sympathise, but usually that's about it. But these stories show us or present to us a Jesus who can hear, can sympathise, can empathise, but who can act as well. These show us a story of someone who feels and has the power to do something about those feelings. Jesus can make a difference. We should come to him openly, we should come to him honestly, we should come to him humbly. But I think it shows us that we should also come boldly and bravely enough to ask him to make that difference. We should come to him and say, Lord, there are these people who need comfort in, comfort them. Lord, I need your kindness, be kind to me. There are others who require your blessing or your encouragement or your validation. Do those things in their lives. Open and honest, humbly, boldly. That is how we come. Because we come to a Christ who loves too much, too deeply to remain indifferent or to remain unengaged. Lastly, we come... To, to, to free ourselves of all these burdens. We don't come to be weighed down by the things that we bring before Jesus. Jesus isn't sitting there waiting for us to act before he's willing to respond. Jesus isn't sitting there waiting for us to be open before he intervenes. I love that in the second story, in the second story there is no request. Jesus just sees and Jesus just acts. Do you know that is still true of Jesus today? We have a saviour who will act often before we even get a chance to act. Ask. Christ acts before we even recognise our need for him to act. That's the sort of saviour we come before today. I want to remind you 
today, encourage you in this direction today, that it is good that we have a Jesus who feels. Because we feel, and we're supposed to feel. Life is full of things to feel about. It's really good that we have one who still shows us what it is to truly feel in all circumstances. It's very good that we have one who sees and himself feels and intervenes. Yeah, I mean, it's all good news, isn't it? Because Jesus is truly good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that Jesus wasn't fiddling or pretending at humanity. We thank you that when the divine eternal son came and took on flesh, he took on our real humanity. Lord, we thank you that he, from his vantage point of creating, sustaining, and sinlessness could see truly how to respond and to feel and to act and to speak in all situations. Lord, I pray that you would give us that courage, that conviction that is necessary to come before you openly and honestly, to come before you humbly, Lord, to come before you boldly, so that we could share how we feel about life, that we could learn from you about how you learn from life. Lord, and we could seek you to make a difference in all those ways. Lord, I thank you that ultimately you don't need us to point things out to you, that Jesus now, he loves, he delights to see and to respond and to intervene. I thank you for that saviour that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen.